Hello and welcome to this very special podcast episode. My name is Max and I will be your host for today. Together with my two colleagues who I will present in a second, I study sustainability, society and the environment in a master's program at the University of Kiel for a module which is even longer. Its name is Socio-Environmental Conflicts and Local Approaches for Sustainability. We focus on special topics that might lead to such a conflict. Our main task was to find such a social environmental conflict and to assess a case study, the local actors involved and what is being done to resolve this conflict. Before continuing with this episode, I want to wish a warm welcome to Lisa and Nadine. Welcome, nice that you're here. Hello. Hi there. Well, Bali is very well known around the world as a tourism destination. I think you can see all the influencers on Instagram posting photos in and around Bali. A beautiful landscape makes Bali a perfect tourism destination to relax, enjoy the sunny beaches and make adventures such as fishing, for example. But we ask ourselves, is everything so beautiful in Bali as promised? How are local people dealing with such heavy tourism on the island and how are the ecological consequences such as pollution dealt with on Bali? Additionally, there are many local fishing villages and the region plays an important role on the culture with many people practicing Hinduism. Therefore, we made the assumption that there are more conflicts hidden in Bali that we cannot see on the surface. Today, we will focus on tourism and fishing conflicts in and around Bali in Indonesia. But as I'm not an expert on tourism conflicts, I invited my two colleagues, Lisa and Nadine, who already presented themselves. They know a little bit more about these tourism conflicts and will talk more in depth about tourism and ecotourism conflicts that occur in Bali. Later on, I will talk about the fishery conflicts and conflicts around a marine protected area in Bali. And we are not alone today. Um, it's not just three of us, but four of us. Uh, we conducted an interview with a partner from Bali, but Lisa can tell us more about who he is and what his mission in Bali is. Uh, thank you, Max. Yes, our interview partner, who we'll introduce in a bit, was someone from the Bali Water Protection Project, which functions under the IDEP. IDEP is an NGO whose motto is to help uh, the people of Bali and Indonesia, so help themselves. Um, the organization was established in 1999 and the BVP was a sub-project that started in 2018 as a result of the increasing saltwater intrusion and the use of groundwater in Bali. Leo is a very passionate person who works for the BWP as a communications and fundraising officer. He was very open to speak to us about the issue and to share the work of the Bali Water Project. So Nadine, in your opinion, what makes Bali so interesting as a case study for this research? Well, when scouting around for cases that matched our topics of interest, um, that being tourism, ecotourism and fisheries, we really tried to find something that connected all three of those. We thought that finding a coastal region would present the perfect solution. Um, and that's why we went with Bali, because we assumed that around these coastal regions, um, they don't only offer opportunities for commerce and trade, but act as popular tourist destination. Bali in particular was uh, chosen as a case study mainly because of this high tourism boom, which all started back in the 80s, along with Phuket, Thailand. 
These two regions in Asia, especially Bali, are often marketed with the adventure and cultural aspect at the forefront. Of course, this um, brought on a major influx of tourists, and Bali has reached its capacity for what it can provide for many people to have this island life experience fulfilled. Oh, really? How so? Um, could you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, sure. So with more people coming into the island, we can see that the demand for things like accommodation and the use of resources has truly increased. This means that more hotels were being built, more locals were being involved in terms of them sharing their culture, their practices, their traditions, being local tour guides and so on. And there was also like this increase in pollution due to many people frequenting the island and mostly using aircrafts to get there. Yeah, I think like the air traffic is a whole topic uh, for itself, but how can these be seen as conflicting? Well, they all have consequences um, on various aspects, like the environment, on Bali's economy, and the people of the region, so meaning the social aspect. And these three things really form the basis of, I think, most people's general understanding of the term sustainability. I would say that like another conflicting aspect is that of the government itself and them trying to balance these needs and desires that come with um, increased tourism. I think it's an especially important topic because um, the largest economic driver of Bali is their tourism and the government supports strategies that aim to increase all of this. So they actually have a really difficult job of looking after their people and the environment, all the while trying to maintain the strong and stable economy that depends on the thing that is um, damaging the environment. Yeah, you already mentioned how important tourism is, but let's talk a little bit more in depth about tourism. Lisa, could you please tell us if tourism in general is damaging Bali and if so how exactly uh, yeah definitely uh, in the last few years tourism has drastically influenced the environment in Bali the area now suffers from a garbage emergency water secrecy and extreme traffic and there are multiple cases of tourists offending locals oh yeah that doesn't sound very good um, but does it damage more then it brings benefits because Nadine already talked about um, the economic structure behind the tourism and tourism should be one of the main financial resources for Bali citizens, right? Yeah, that's true. And it looks like tourism has brought opportunities to increase the standards of living and changes the Balinese economic, social and natural environment. However, not always in a good way. For example, it is estimated that around 10 square kilometers of irrigated rice fields have been lost to tourist development every year since the 80s. In addition, golf courses and hotels need large quantities of water since five-star hotels use an average of 500 liters of the water per room per day and non-star recommendation requires 400 liters. Wow, that's a lot and we talked to Leo about that and let's hear what Leo says. What can I mention about this? It is really, if we're talking about the cultures, it would, yeah, it would absolutely impacting the, the, the people in Bali because as we know that people 
uh, in Bali have their religion, which is really close to their cultures. Once I mentioned about the Hinduism in Bali, Hinduism is actually the, the Tirta religions. Tirta means water. Tirta stands for water. So when the Balinese people are doing some of their uh, religious activity, they cannot release from the, uh, from the important roles of water. Once uh, they have a, um, some kind of activity, ceremony, they still use water uh, as, their, as, their, as the main point of their, uh, as one of the important elements on, on uh, their religious. I cannot mention more about it because I'm not Hindu. I'm a Muslim and uh, I can see how important the, the water is for the Bali people. And the Balinese people in here are really close to their culture. Their culture, uh, their culture and their religion uh, harmonize and um, combine each other, uh, completing each other. And it is part of their identity. And, and the people in Bali, uh, could um, cannot and the people in Bali they they cannot release the the cultures and uh, the religion because they live in a harmony with the uh, religion and the cultures and well maybe one thing that uh, that surprised me when I uh, start to joining this uh, this program and joining this organization a couple months ago I find a fact so uh, there's some kind of organizations there's some organization that have been con uh, conducted the the research about the uh, the river polluted in 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 Bali, and it and it also damaged um, the Tirta, which is the the source of the holy water in 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 Bali, and it would give a lot of uh, a brand new information for them. To mention about the the water the water situation in, in Bali, it is not it is not in a in a it, it, it is facing the very critical situation because they under they understand now the plastics uh, pollution has uh, has been has been affected uh, the some of the important river which is the source of the source of um, holy water for the people in Bali and uh, and now. Uh, the river has been polluted. Uh, they they got uh, more information about it and they could understand. And from this research, I really wish that um, all of the the government, also the people, could uh, could do more about this and and uh, find the answer how to preserve and how to uh, save their uh, their important place for the religious ceremony, including the source of the holy water. Yes, what an impression from Leo and how do locals react to the changes due to some tourist attractions? Wow, that's a great question. Thanks, Max. Actually, these huge tourist flows have resulted in important impacts on Balinese society, bringing income to the local population. Tourism, including hospitality, is now the island's number one economic resource, meaning traditional villages have become tourist-oriented with the development of services, hotels, restaurants, performances and handicrafts. With the villages, society is also changing, usually leaving behind cultural interests and moving more to the Western-oriented society. 
Besides, this huge flow of tourists has resulted in important impacts on the environment and questions the quality of access to water, since the hotels have priority over the local people, who are deprived of tap water in the daytime from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. in order to leave the majority of water for the hotels. Leo mentions that around 60% of the water usage is dedicated to tourists now. So the local societies split into two different groups, those who are actually feel offended culturally and physically by Western changes towards sustainable development and those who think environment development is against the beliefs of Balinese cultural ideas. Water itself is very important for Bali and many of their traditions are centered around this and it is part of their identity and is, is seen as holy. This holy water has seen uh, an increase in plastic pollution, which affects its sacredness. You know, it's really something that impacts the livelihoods of the people. For example, there are big rice paddy fields of these needs to use large amounts of water. When that is restricted, the growth of crops is affected negatively. Oh, well, that sounds like a very, I think, intense conflict. And do you know whether there are any communities or NGOs already working on solving the tourist problems in Bali? Of course, ecotourism isn't new in Bali and already multiple companies have tried to implement their ideas there. Let's try to see if it worked out. For example, the Trihita Karana label was created in 2000 and recognized by the World Tourism Organization in 2004. Their objective is a response to the tourism mega-project of the 90s, which were contested by Balinese public opinion. As a result, in 2015, 148 hotels participated in the program. We can observe that it is essentially the most expensive, so far, five- and four-star hotel that get involved. So we still can't really say if they made a visible good impact on the environment and the society of Bali, since they're mostly focusing on the Western paradigm. Uh, the BWP created the Three Adopt program, which was done through research and is supported by multiple actors, even private owners. It has adopt a river, adopt a well, and adopt water. Oh wow, that sounds pretty interesting. And also, like this conflict is still on the rise, and um, we might want to check how this conflict involves in the future. But as I mentioned in our introduction, Bali is also very popular for fishing, but not just Bali. Did you guys know that Indonesia is the second biggest producer of seafood in the world? Oh, wow. Really? No, I didn't know that at all. No, I mean neither. Well, it's true. Only China produces more seafood in the world. Indonesia annually produces over 8 million tons of live weight, which is place number two in the world. Well, I think we could argue whether that's a good achievement or not, but I'll leave that up to you guys. So, Lisa, Nadine, do you have any guess why Indonesia is so famous for fishery? Um, no, maybe because of, I don't know, the best I could say is probably the increase in tourism. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe Indonesia is just, of course, it's surrounded by water, so they might be good in fishery because that they're was initial source of like food well i think in the end um you're both right i think a country um, surrounded by water is of course more dependent on fishery than a landlocked country um well but the answer is pretty simple indonesia owns about 12.5 percent of the coral reefs in the world 
So you could basically say that the Indonesian archipelago is covered in a big coral reef. Of course, that's not um, scientifically correct, but um, you can just imagine like Indonesia is covered in a big coral reef. Um, 0.1% of the worldwide ocean floor is covered by coral reefs. That does not sound much, right? But um, what do you guys think? How many marine species live in that 0.1% which is covered by coral reefs? Hmm, I guess maybe around 3%. Yeah, I'm no fisheries expert, but I'm going to go a little higher than your guess, Lisa. I would say around 10% maybe. Well, I think you're both wrong. The number is even higher than Nadine's guess. It's about 25%. So one-fourth of all marine species live in a coral reef, which is 0.1% of the ocean floor. That's basically why Indonesia's fishing industry is so big. It's because there's such species richness, but we would not talk about this unless there's also a big conflict involved, right? So coral reefs. Um, we might think about the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. And do you guys know what is happening there right now? Uh, my best guess is coral bleaching. Exactly. And that's also happening in coral reefs in Indonesia. Corals are extremely vulnerable to each tenth of a warming. So a temperature increase of the seawater by, let's just say, one degree Celsius can lead to a massive bleaching event and corals could die. That situation is only more likely in the future with the constant climate change and global temperature increase. However, this is not the only stressor for coral reefs such as in Bali. So what do you guys think? Um, what other factors might affect coral reefs? Um, what other factors come into your minds? Hmm, what about um, pollution? Yes, absolutely right, Lisa. Um, we mentioned plastic pollution a bit earlier um, when we talked about tourism. But not just the intrusion of plastics into the system can be hazardous, hence the intrusion of nutrients can lead to a massive event of dying. It is already reported in some regions around the world that more and more algae are settling in coral reefs, which is decreasing the species richness of that reef. But we talked about tourism. How can the tourism harm coral reefs specifically? Well, I imagine as coral reefs are so beautiful and um, are marketed as such a big tourist attraction with so many activities going on around them, I think that could actually lead to unsustainable tourism or maybe even perhaps the leaking of oil or something like scuba diving. Well, you're absolutely right. Well, of course, the leak of oil or the intrusion of rubbish from, from boat or even the noises can harm coral reefs and the marine wildlife living there. But I think scuba diving is a very good example for a direct harm of that ecosystem. I think if you do scuba diving correctly and in a right way, there might not be such a big problem. Because I talked to some friends earlier who dive and they say there is one big rule. You cannot harm or touch such a vulnerable ecosystem when you are underwater. The cases in Bali, most scuba guides are either inexperienced or they just don't care whether the tourists touch the corals or not. It's probably even in their interest because the tourists get the, let's just say, whole experience. Um, but I talked about how important the fishing industry is in Indonesia and also for Bali. However, there are two major problems, IUU fishing and DFPs. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the million dollar question. What is IOU fishery and DFPs? Well, I, I'll try to guess. Indirect use of... Um, yeah, no, no idea, actually. Well, I think I may have heard a little something about IOU fishery, but nothing in uh, quite specific detail. I do think, however, that the I might stand for illegal. Well, yes, at least you get some money out of the million dollars. Um, nah, just just joking. But but yes, I stands for illegal. IOU fishery stands for illegal, unreported and unregulated fishery. This means that some fishers in Indonesia practice IOU fishery. Mostly big trawlers fish inside an area where they are not even allowed to fish. Fun fact, well, I don't know whether it's funny or not, um, China's fishing fleet is active all over the world, such as Indonesia, for example, or even in countries around Africa or Argentina. And that's because there are either no regulations or a very weak enforcement of those regulations. And DFPs, that are destructive fishing practices. It includes methods such as bottom trawling or even more brutal methods such as the intrusion of cyanide or dynamite blasts. So basically you put a dynamite into the ocean and kill everything below the surface? That doesn't sound right. No, I think we can all agree on that it's not right, but that's pretty accurate. So on the one hand, there's this big conflict between the environment I think the survival of the Korees, the conservation of species richness in Bali, and the, between the fishery, which try to seek their economic benefits. But on the other hand, there's also a big conflict inside the fishery sector itself. Small-scale fishery are most common in Indonesia and also in Bali and its surrounding. Often they do their profession over generations and pass their profession on to the next generation, and what conflict could you think of when I say that there's also a big conflict within the fishing industry itself? Well, perhaps it could be because fishermen themselves don't respect their own fishing area. I can also imagine that such big trolls, as you mentioned, don't leave anything for the small fishers, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you're both right. Um, I think the first point um, can also lead to a conflict, but that would be more between two fishers itself, right? But you're both right. Um, however, the point that you mentioned, Lisa, that is what I had in mind. Um, there's a big discrepancy between the big trawlers um, owned by big companies making millions a year and a small-scale fisher, beginning with the equipment. It is already reported around Bali that small-scale fishers um, fish less around Bali and therefore they have to go further out from the coast which makes it more difficult to fish because their equipment is not prepared for deep-sea fishing. Is there anything that could help that conflict? Yes and no. I think we can kind of understand how complex these conflicts are and that they are in the end kind of linked to each other, also tourism and fishery. But one way to conserve the marine wildlife and also the livelihood of small-scale fishers could be the installation of marine protected areas, short MPAs. Right in the southeast of Bali, there is the island called Nusa Penida. And the Nusa Penida has a marine protected area since 2010. And it's trying to protect marine wildlife and small-scale fishery. So it's actually pretty good to protect marine wildlife. And it's a very important first step to protect it. Um, but there should be no take zones. No take zones are zones where you can't take out any fish at all. 
and that should be at least 50% of the whole MPA. But actually the Nusapenida MPA has a core zone and such a no-take zone of 0.6%. And I think that is very little for such, yeah, such an MPA and we might need to work on it. And we contacted the Ministry of Marine Affairs and Fishery in Indonesia, but unfortunately they didn't reply. So the enforcement of marine protected area is still very weak. So there are quite big regulations, um, but and also high expectations on protecting marine wildlife. But until today, um, these expectations can't cope with the reality. So what does this all mean in the end? What are some contributing solutions that can actually be done to resolve these conflicts? Well, we've had a lot of information in this podcast um, outlined by all three of us, but what I think is really key here is the work of the BWP, so that um, Bali Water Protection Project. Mm -hmm. I think that they really want to work with people and make Bali a better place to live. This is really nicely outlined um, in the interview that we had with Leo and uh, we just like to play the short audio clip that um, confirms that. So it is really easy. Um, for us, until now, we just want to try to, uh, I mean, like making our uh, progress through Bali water protection first. The first, uh, we just want to reach our expectation, um, including to uh, install recharge well based on our target before 132 and uh, beside of that we we just want to we just want to see Bali water protection not only belongs to one organization we really wish that this this uh this movement this this program would belongs to um, a lot of people uh the rest of the people in Bali the third one i just want to mention about um we facing the impact, the impact after the World Water Forum in uh, a, that would happen in Bali next year, because yeah, as we as we've experienced before, we're facing the G20, we're facing so many so many kind of kind of organization. It gives um, the impact for the people for the organization but not for the locals in Bali. And we, we just want to see, we just want to see uh, this forum could, could be uh, giving the different, different answer for us as uh, locals in Bali. And we could uh, find, a, find a good regulation, find a good policy and good collaboration coordination with, uh, with a lot of people, including the stakeholders who wants to support us. The fourth one, I just want to see our organization. The foundation is, is not only, it is not only putting the, the concern on one issues, but more, more issues uh, regarding the environment in, in Indonesia. Um, so basically what Leo is talking about here is the input and the support of the government. They play a very important role in um, the support of these projects and helping organization actually realize their goals. 
a big problem in Bali and actually a big reason for these conflicts is that the government pushes the idea of tourism and fisheries and the marketing of Bali to increase its economy, but it doesn't really enforce the regulations that are there for them to protect the environment and the people of Bali. Um, many of these regulations are ignored and that plays a very big role in the conflict. Yeah, actually making that collaboration with the community and other local organizations is really something that can play a huge role. Raising awareness and education is a goal of the BWP, and they even have a documentary film that will be released. It highlights the true situation in Bali and its impacts, as well as the rest of Indonesia. Yes, I guess awareness is also very important. The World Water Forum that will happen in Bali is an opportunity to showcase project works and to discuss further solutions. The main goal is to involve the locals, but more so to reach officials to manage these issues. The research, tech and money that goes into all this is aimed to be made accessible to all people of Bali, so that they can be involved as part of the solution, but also as a way for employment and upskilling. A big goal is to have the locals run the programs in their areas. BWP wants to boost the people to have them develop their own communities, cultures and villages. Schools are also a focal point for education and raising awareness. Yeah, Max, I totally agree. Those are some interesting points. And bringing awareness to these situations is really a good starting point in order to resolve these conflicts. Um, we also asked Leo what the organization itself envisions for the next five years or so, or at least what Bali would look like with all these efforts and what the organization hopes to achieve. He was very passionate about it and gave us this response. Also, I just really wish that our organization could be expand more in uh, some kind of issues that are really close to the people in Bali. So we can uh, fix the problem of the people and they start to um, they start to develop themselves and be be uh, the figure who can support themselves not from the the foundation but they can support their their own community and they can standing straight as the people who want to make a change. Yeah, I think that is an interesting and also very good vision. And thank you, Leo, for that. Um, thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Lisa. And we are signing off now. Thanks for listening. I hope you have learned something or at least now you're more aware of your impacts as a tourist. This has been Lisa, Nadine and me, Max. And now we'll leave you with a final message from Leo. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to speak in front of you guys. And I really wish that, yeah, we could... Uh, we could um, making some kind of difference for uh, for the people in Bali and also would result uh, very positive things for the uh, for all of the people in Bali and also the research with uh, will help uh, I just really wish that this research would be part of our uh, our guidance to help as many people in Bali as we can.